Welcome to Grails, a podcast by Alton Insights. My name is John Tunger, and on this episode, I'm talking with Chris Ivey, Director of Sports Auctions at Heritage Auctions. He shares his background and how he got into this industry. We also break down a ton of the mind-blowing assets they have up for auction right now. He shares stories of how they got the assets into this auction, and of course, the backstories of the assets themselves. You can check out the auction if you go to ha.com. Let's get started. I grew up uh, as an 80s kid, you know, going to card shows. I think uh, I told this story before, but the first pack that I ever uh, bought was actually not sports cards, but was actually Garbage Pail Kids when I was about mm. um, eight or nine years old. I, I went to a 7-Eleven with a friend of mine after a soccer game, and he said, hey, have you seen these <laughs> things? And and uh, and I picked it up and uh, and bought a few packs, and I was, I was hooked from then on. Um, so, you know, always from that point on, started going to card shows with him. He's still a good friend of mine to this day. And uh, so, you know, we had fun kind of getting to know the business, um, you know, like a lot of kids that, that collected, um, got out of it kind of in my high school years and, and college years. But uh, uh, after after I went to school, um, you know, I was going to go to law school, um, took the LSAT to, uh, to to apply and get into some different law schools and uh, I just realized that um, I wanted to try something else first. So uh, as luck would have it, I was able to um, uh, to get a job with SGC at the time, who was based in New Jersey as a, um, you know, didn't start as a card grader, but kind of started as data entry and then worked my way into the grading room and um, kind of got my feet wet in the industry again. Um, and from that point, that was around the year 2000, um, I, I linked back up with heritage auctions and was able to start using their capital to buy and sell uh, as a as more of a dealer and then in 2003 i went to the executive group here with a with a proposal to branch out into auctions now heritage had started in 1976 as primarily a coin and currency company um, i had no interest in that but uh, in the 1990s heritage built an online and interactive bidding platform actually built that software to get it before eBay even. Um, and, uh, and so that really helped heritage, you know, move up to be one of the top um, coin auction firms in the world. And then they started using that infrastructure to build. And so after, you know, they first spread into comic books and uh, right after 2001 and then vintage movie posters. And then 2003, I started doing uh, sports auctions for them. And um, our first, Major auction was in 2004, uh, and we did $2 million that year. Uh, and then uh, we've grown at least 20% or more every year since wow. then. And uh, we, we hit uh, 200 million in sales just in sports uh, last year. So it's been a wow. been, 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 been a good fortuitous timing and then a, a great partnership here with Heritage Auctions. I mean, and that's what a resume for you right there to say, yeah, 20% growth every year 200 million in sales i mean what do you think is attributed to that success for heritage i mean since 2003 being early is great but continued success what what contributes to that 
Yeah, I mean, and even in 2003, we weren't, you know, there were there were already well-established sports auction firms out there. I mean, there was uh, SCP, Leland's, um, Mastro, and, um, you know, and several others, REA. Um, so we got into a field that was that was pretty crowded. Um, but, you know, we felt uh, I was not interested. I mean, obviously, we were interested in, in doing it right, right, and growing and building a good foundation. So I always focused on um, you know, bringing in the best material we could, you know, we're a service business at the end of the day. So we need to provide ser- a good service to our clients and keep them coming back. And that's how you grow as a service business. So, you know, good communication, do what you say you're going to do. Um, and then we had the great infrastructure of heritage auctions behind us to allow us to do all those things as well. Um, so, you know, and then just fortuitous with, with the growth of the sports collectibles market as a whole, I, I always felt that this material was undervalued and that there was uh, you know, and it's nice to see what we're seeing over the last few years, especially in the last couple of years of, you know, getting that validation that, okay, I, you know, I wasn't crazy. This stuff is very, this stuff is great and it is valuable. And it's, and it's nice to see people, you know, start treating it more as an investment uh, uh, rather than just a hobby. So was that like a surprise to you to see the rocket ship growth that we've seen the last couple of years? Or have you just always been like, no, I saw, I saw this coming. <laughs> I wish I could say that I, I mean, I did, I did feel that the material, you know, had more value and that it would go up in value. I, I, but I didn't see it going as strongly as it has in the last couple of years, as far as like how quickly the growth has happened. Um, you know, just a few years ago, you know, when the 52 tops mantle, uh, in eight started crossing that $500,000 threshold, I think that in, in my opinion, that's the, that was the turning point. That was the delineation where Mm -hmm. people that started looking at this stuff that were typically weren't interested in sports collectibles because it was more of a hobby and not high end when they started seeing, Oh, this one item, this one single item, this mantle, this is kind of like, it's kind of a pop culture crossover piece um, is worth half a million. Um, now they started looking at it for more of an investment aspect. Like, okay, I can buy this in addition to the wine and the art I'm buying. It's a cool piece. It's something I can put up and, you know, have conversations with my friends and, and that type of thing. And it's also an investment. So I think when, you know, and, and from that time, we've seen a lot more items uh, start hitting that $500,000 threshold uh, more than I ever thought we would see here, you know, just, you know, five, six, seven years later. Yeah. So what is your day-to-day like at Heritage uh, then? And how has it changed in the last couple of years as the markets exploded? Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny back in, 2004 when we first got all this going I was a little bit of of everything right I was I I only had one um, full-time employee at at that time and um, you know handled all the consignments and um, you know writing and you know catalog production and and all those type of things and um, that's why I've got a lot of gray hair here (laughs) (laughs) not a lot no (laughs) but um but yeah, since that time we've grown, we've got over 24 um, uh, employees and, and a lot of experts and consignment directors here in this. Um, that's just in our sports department here at Heritage. Um, so a lot of that, the stuff that I used to do, um, you know, is now kind of managerial. So I'm kind of overseeing my, my crew and 
making decisions on, you know, the types of deals we can put together. I think that's the most fun for me still, still is the high-end consignments mm. and, and those negotiations for, for those consignments and, and everything. And, uh, you know, everything that goes into reading someone that, that's considering their options for consignment, what's most important to them, Mm. Um, you know, what, what can we put into this deal to get it finalized and, and make them comfortable and bring in the material, but uh, the, the material still excites me. I, I was just talking to one of my guys about, uh, you know, the, uh, an early, uh, assigned Jordan, um, you know, debut ticket stub, which is, uh, I, I haven't seen one of those before. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that's something that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's exciting to me. And, and, and I love talking about this stuff that we're able to to bring to the market. Yeah. I mean, even right behind you, I see some sort of like a Babe Ruth picture. I see that you, uh, you have here in your office. Um, is that, is that a Babe Ruth picture right there? It is. It's a, uh, it's, it's a restrike. It's an original Conlon negative. Uh, so it's, it's not an original photo, but at some point in the last uh, 20 years, they did a, they, they restruck some of the original negatives. So oh, cool. yeah, I've got that uh, over my shoulder. I, I, I enjoy that image. Got my uh, fantasy football championship trophy next to that. <laughs> Which one's more valuable, huh? Maybe the fantasy football. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I've got my University of Texas uh, material. I went down, I was UT Austin. I'm a big fan. So I've got nice. some, some game worn helmets and, uh, um, and, and jerseys and that type of thing. And then just, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I've started collecting signed cards, stuff I couldn't afford when I was a kid. So yeah. signed, signed rookies from the eighties is, awesome. is what I'm concentrating on right now. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole, uh, rabbit trail later. That was awesome. But, uh, so it's pretty crazy when you say like 24, right. And now you guys are one of the go-to uh, you know, shops, if you have a, some crazy big item and you want to, you want to get it up at, at auction, you can sign with you guys. I, uh, I mean, just even I'm looking at my list of some of the major items that are coming through in this next auction. How do you uh, draw that sort of attention um, to be able to get some of the most prestigious things in the world? Oh, so, you know, auctions are all about eyeballs. It's about getting it in front of the right people. And that's one of the best, you know, Heritage is the third largest auction house in the world behind Christie's and Sotheby's. Uh, so like I say, they have a, you know, several hundred year head start on us. Uh, we were founded in the United States. Uh, we were founded by collectors, um, you know, so they understand collecting. And one of the main things they did early on, and this is when they started building the online bidding platform in the 90s, is they understood there was a, it was a division between collectors and dealers. And dealers always had, at that up to that time, dealers always had, better information and more information than collectors and they could use that to their advantage to make money in the market and we didn't see that as as being you know we knew that once we leveled the playing field that if collectors were more comfortable they would spend more and so we started providing as much data as possible to mm -hmm. our bidding clientele we were providing them with population reports we were providing them um, with pricing data and that type of thing and exactly what we thought happened did happen is that more collectors got involved and so you know heritage has been you know around over 40 years now and and you know building we're now over 40 different collectible categories so we deal in everything from you know comic books vintage movie posters firearms historical uh, music and entertainment and obviously sports collectibles is what i'm passionate about but being able to to bring those 1.5 million bidder members 
and cross market to all those different categories. Um, and we also have a, you know, a marketing staff here that we do all of our own internal layouts for our catalogs, all of our production. We have the printing presses. So we bring it all under one roof, but it allows us to cross market um, to collectors from around the world. And our marketing department allows us to get press and mainstream media around the world. And so all that, you know, brings more bidders to the table. And at the end of the day, if we can get you one or two or three more bids for your item, that's going to make thousands of dollars of difference, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of a difference. And so, you know, really it's one of those, if you build it, they will come, you know, uh, we started out again in 2004 is our first year doing sports auctions and um and and we built it slowly from that point but we've gotten to a point where um we've just got great relationships and i will say we have the best experts in the industry um you know dan emler uh Derek grady leah skowitz rob rosen these are all guys that have made a career in this industry they have relationships throughout and a couple of them are former professional graders as i was and i worked with them at SGC. And so, you know, being able to bring that expertise to our clients, to our consigners on both ends of the table, you know, if you can sign cards to us, we're able to process them for you, uh, determine, you know, which ones to get graded, how to get them graded best and to maximize your value at auction. Um, And then, you know, and then on the flip side, when that material is up for auction, um, we reach out to clients from around the world that we have relationships with. And, um, and we know that, you know, that, that there's someone that collects high-end mantle or, you know, Jackie Robinson material, those type of things. We certainly reach out and make sure that they're aware. And we do that in addition to our, our standard, you know, marketing and cataloging and, and, uh, and, and uh, press that we're able to generate. Yeah. Those high-end clients has, has that really changed? Like, have you seen the, um, the demographic or the type of that high-end client grow as the hobbies exploded in the last like two years, you know, for example, did it used to kind of be like uh, a more classic sports collector and now you see a bunch of like techie guys in it, right. Or something like that. What, uh, what are you seeing on that end? Yeah, we've, we've definitely seen that. Um, and, and I would say there's a lot of reasons for that. We t- I touched on it a little bit earlier about how more people started seeing it as an investment and altered, uh, you know, uh, alternate assets. Um, and that's, that's certainly part of it. I would say another part of it is um, to be a, a high-end investor in sports collectibles 15, 20 years ago, you had to invest a lot more time than you do now. It was a lot more of the Wild West. So you had to really have um, a passion for this material and want to get into it and learn it so you didn't, didn't make any mistakes, right? You know, you had to learn about game use bats you had to learn about jerseys or or original photography there were no very few third-party experts or or people that you could that you go to to vet material for you so as the as the as the industry's grown as the hobby's grown we've gotten more trusted third-party experts through psa through you know bat authentication through game worn jersey authentication through photo matching so i think for that more casual investor they feel safer and there's, there's firms like heritage and others that stand, we stand behind everything we sell and we get the best third party experts to vet this material. So there's that comfort level and they don't have to spend as much time to learn about the market and they can invest and enjoy it on that level. And so that, I think all those reasons have, have come in and allowed people to come in and enjoy it more and invest more thoroughly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this crazy auction that you got coming. Um, 
some of your like highlight pieces that you're just super pumped about um, for our Grails audience here? So there's a lot. We, we've got a wonderful, we had a, um, we have a consigner that put together uh, a Jackie Robinson collection. And this is material that he was buying in the eighties and nineties. Right. And on, on the forefront of that, as you mentioned briefly, the, the Jackie Robinson um, American baseball bureau questionnaire that he filled out in 1946. This is significant for a lot of reasons. A, you know, this is, this is a questionnaire that, that, you know, starting in the forties and on up to, to currently, all baseball rookies are asked to fill out. And, and a lot of it is just, you know, the basics, your name, your height, you know, your stats, your address, but it also asks things like, uh, you know, what's your favorite sport outside of baseball? And uh, Jackie Robinson's answer to that was golf, huh. uh, interestingly enough. And, wow. uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, uh, who was, who is your, uh, uh, who, 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 who do you own the most? Who do you owe the most uh, in your baseball career? And Jackie's answer to that was Mr. Branch Rickey, which is obviously uh, interesting wow. on its own right. But I think what really sets this piece, takes it to the next level, is it asks, what's your ambition in baseball? And Jackie wrote to open the door for Negroes and organized ball, which, you know, that right there is the first time we see Jackie in his own words, in his own handwriting, say that his ambition, his goal is to break the color barrier. Wow. And so, you know, that's why we knew this piece uh, was going to be very significant. Um, you know, our estimate on it is a million plus. It's currently sitting at 1.4 million hammer. Because um, <laughs> this is a piece that, that you know, it, it, it's super, it, 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 it's not just a baseball collectible. I mean, this, this belongs, this is a piece of American history. I mean, baseball was the most popular sport in our country uh, for, for a century. And, um, and, you know, this, this is, this, this moves from baseball to popular culture, obviously. And so it'd be at home in any museum. Do you know how he got his hands on this item? Like how, how do you get your hands on the Jackie Robinson baseball questionnaire? Well, this one's actually easy. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, he actually, our consigner purchased this out of the famous 1999, uh, Barry Halper auction. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was, this was originally offered, uh, in the Halper collection. Um, and there are some of them out there. You'll see other ones that have been sold at auction through, yeah, I think Jimmy Fox, I've seen his out there and, and some other players that, you know, that filled them out early in their career. Um, but yeah, the, so this one, and so he put the, he saw this and, and uh, he's a big Jackie Robinson fan. And we also have in this auction, uh, one of the uh, ticket stubs from April 15th, 1947, when, when Jackie broke the color barrier, I think that's over 200,000 currently. Wow. Um yeah, and and just some some really neat, uh, really neat Jackie Robinson items. But uh, we've also got a a, a great uh, Mickey Mantle jersey uh, in this auction. It's a '68 jersey, um, and and as most people know, uh, Mantle retired in spring training of '69, so he never played in any games in '69 season. Now we'd sold this jersey before, and we've sold it as photo match because it was definitely photo match to his 535th career home run one of his last home runs he hit in his career. But since we last sold it, it's been definitively photo matched that this is actually the final Jersey that Mantle ever wore in game action. Wow. Um, so, which is pretty incredible. And so, yeah, we're happy to be offering it. Um, that's also estimated at a million plus. And um, I think What's it's it? currently, 
currently sitting at a bargain somewhere in the uh, I, I think it's somewhere in the 600,000 range uh, <laughs> hammer price but Not uh, formal financial advice, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, but we've, we've got 72 hours and as I tell our consigners who as you can imagine oftentimes get worried during the bidding process you know 90% of this bid of the bids for the entire auction are going to come in in the final 24 to 48 hours yep and so for the people who uh are newer to auctions um we just recently kind of started talking about auctions on our podcast so basically people have their chance to get their bid in um and then all the bidding basically it's like then it really starts right so what uh in the next you said 72 hours is when that like basically period where the real auction starts is that how it works yeah so this is an extended bid auction so it's been open for several weeks and and by the way, anyone listening, if you want to see any of the, the items, I mean, you can go to ha.com and and uh, you can, you know, learn more about them, see the images, read the item descriptions, all that fun stuff. But uh, it'll culminate with an extended bidding on uh, Saturday, February 26th. And so at 10 p.m. Central Time, uh, you have to have bid on, place to bid on the item prior to that point to be able to participate in the extended bidding. And all the extended bidding is, is it's, it closes on a lot by lot basis. So each lot at 10 p.m. Central Time has a 30-minute clock. And if no one bids on that lot between 10 and 10.30, bidding's over and that lot closes at 10.30. But anytime someone does place a bid, it resets that 30-minute clock. So, you know, every time you place a bid. So, you know, typically most of the auction is closed within within 90 minutes of going into extended bid. And there's always a few lots that lag, um, you know, because most people don't wait that entire 30 minutes. You know, if someone outbids them, they'll just jump back in and, and bid again and goes back and forth and moves fairly quickly. But we figure, you know, the reason we, we went to that is. You know, it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a, a contest to see who can stay up the latest. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it should be, you know, give them give them these parameters and let them move. And and uh, and it's interesting because a lot of a lot of heritage divisions, we still do live auctions and we started doing live auctions in sports in 2004. But, uh, you know, sports collectors, they're you know typically younger and they understand the Internet, and the online bidding platform, and that's what they were used to. And so uh, we switched to extended bid several years ago and and um, it's been great. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've I've stayed up pretty late watching. There was one where I was watching some Joe Burrow extended bidding stuff and it was like just getting to the last minute and then it would restart. But someone was just waiting for it to go all the way down. And I'm like, this thing's going to go till like 2 a.m. And then eventually <laughs> I could get tapered out. But um, it can get pretty. Yeah. I mean, it's fun when you're talking the big numbers and then just jump. That's definitely it's definitely a strategy for some bidders. I mean, some bidders like to wait and kind of, you know, wait for that full 30 minutes and see if they can, you know, keep someone, hopefully, you know, I guess hoping someone falls asleep on the other side, whoever they're competing against. (laughs) What's the, do you just have, what's the craziest auction story you have? Like, have you just seen an all out bidding war that's gone insane? Yeah. I mean, those are fun, right? I mean, what we try to do is, is create an environment. And I tell this to consigners. I mean, we, you know, we put the kindling out, you know, we, 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 uh, we, we get all the, all the supplies out to, to start this fire, but it really takes a spark. And, um, and, and, you know, we can estimate it based on, you know, where comparable items have sold, but a lot of the stuff that we talked about is unique. And so you don't really know where it's going to end up at the end of the day. So that's the fun part is, is, is putting it out there to the widest possible audience and seeing, you know, seeing how, how it, you know, seeing how it ultimately ends up. And that's why, you know, I would say uh, 18 of our top 20 
lots we've ever sold, you know, price-wise, were sold without reserve because that's how you get record prices. Wow. Uh, you know, we publish our reserves. We're very transparent. And, you know, we, we publish them because we want our bidders to know if they're bidding against a reserve. Um, but it also, it, it, limits, it limits the bidding. Oftentimes, if the item does sell, it'll sell right at that reserve because mm -hmm. you kind of cut off that. You've turned it from an emotional event into an analytical, like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm willing to pay that amount, but the bidding just stops there. Right. Whereas if there's no reserve and someone can set their, their you know, I'm not going to pay more than $10,000 for this item. And they can tell themselves that prior to the auction. But when you get that heat of the moment and you start bidding with passion and you're like, well, I'm not going to let this jerk beat me. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I said I was going to stop at 10,000, but here I am bidding 16,000. Yeah. That's really how you are able to, to generate those strong prices. Yeah. Um, and, and my, my, my most favorite example of that is, as we had a consignment that, I came from a gentleman, his, uh, his wife's um, grandfather was a gentleman named Beans Reardon, who was a major league, um, major league baseball umpire in the thirties and forties. Okay. And uh, Beans Reardon uh, went to uh, Norman Rockwell was doing a, a painting um, uh, for, uh, for the Saturday evening post cover. And um, it, it's, uh, I forgot the name of the, the, the name of the painting escapes me now, but it's a famous one of an umpire with his hand out and there's rain coming and you can see it plopping on his, on his palm. And they're trying to make a decision to keep, to let the game go or not. So her grandfather went up to Rockwell studio and posed for him to be a part of this painting. And, um, and, and so they had, uh, uh, they had called to get an estimate. Um, they had what they believed was just a signed print of the painting by Rockwell, who sent it to them after uh, after he was done. And we looked at the image and we, we looked at it, you know, through the images that they had sent us. And we noticed that there were some differences between the prints and between this example that they had sent us. Mm -hmm. But we knew that the original was in the Hall of Fame. And so we knew it couldn't be the original. And we had to, we had to take it off the wall and turn it sideways and and we asked them if they could see strokes. Is this a painting or is it a print? And they turned it off and they, they got back to us. And I said, it's, it's definitely a painting. We can see strokes. So we determined that what they had was a study. So what Rockwell would do was do studies and then, you know, send it, you know, oftentimes send it to Saturday Evening Post. And if they liked the layout or whatnot, or they made some, some suggestions, he would change it for the final painting. Right. But what Rockwell did was, you know, he, he, he got a study uh, and then he sent it to Reardon and said, hey, I really appreciate you coming up here. You know, uh, thanks. And signed it to him. And this was just hanging in their in their home in in in, uh, in Texas for decades. They had no idea wow. what they had. So we told them uh, that um, that uh, it uh, it was worth several hundred thousand dollars. I think our I think our I think our auction estimate was three hundred thousand. Wow. And we went into extended bid at somewhere in the two to 300,000 level. And by the time it was all said and done, that painting sold for $1.6 million. And they just had it hanging in their house and had no idea and no idea what it was worth. They, they, they thought it was a sign, you know, a signed Rockwell print. I just want a camera on those people while that auction's going. And there's like <laughs> another hundred K another hundred K. I, um, when it gets down to it in the auctions, I feel like you have to know, like, it's got to be a small room of people, right? Who they're like, man, there's Jimmy again. He's, he's got, oh, he, he bid 1.2 million on it. Like, I feel like 
it's got to be a small room, right? Do you have a and do you have a pretty good idea of who all these heavy bidders are um, when the auctions get down to it? Or are you ever surprised, like who is that? They just bid a million bucks on it. How how does that side of it work? Um, so it's it's interesting. I mean, a lot of it is. I mean, it's a fairly small industry, especially those uh, you know the big hitters that that have built collections over the decades. Um, but we're seeing more and more new people get involved, right? So oftentimes we are surprised. Um, of, and that's one of the things I think is healthiest about this market. Um, you know, no market goes up, you know, only goes up, right? There's always going to be corrections and ups and downs. Um, so people look at this sports market and they see the growth over the last few years and they automatically think, well, this is a bubble, right? This can't last. And, and I say, uh, it's certainly not going to only go up. There will be corrections and there will be ups and downs. And some aspects of the market are going to see, you know, are, are going to hold better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's, that's like any market. But one of the best things I'm seeing is the amount of new bidders and new people getting involved in this every auction cycle. So there, there are certainly surprises for us, um, you know, more so recently than, than even before. I mean, I feel like 10 years ago, we'd have a pretty good idea. If there's a piece that's going to sell for several hundred thousand. And there were, by the way, there were a few, very few pieces that were selling for over a million 10 years ago in this, right. in this industry as a whole. Um, and, and so, you know, but what we've, we've, we've knocked off, you know, dozens of them just in the last couple of years, but a lot of those are, are due to new people getting involved and wanting to build you know, world-class collections. Wow. Do you have anything that you'd want the Grails audience to know before we head out here? Is there something with the auction for them to watch? Um, yeah. Anything. This is your time to, to pitch your own stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of fun stuff in this. We've you know we've got you know high end rookies and whatnot. One of my favorite items in the auction is we've we've got uh, the only known um, Air Jordan ones that are photo matched to Mike's feet in game action. Wow. Uh, yeah, the, these were worn by Jordan on April first, nineteen eighty six. There's a couple things that are really cool about them. Um, Nike made these, they're, they're player samples. I mean, they, I thought they're making shoes specifically for Jordan. And if you recall, he was injured for most of the 86 season. He had broken a bone in his foot. And so they, they put a special kind of uh, sole on these shoes. So they're different than the normal Air Jordan 1 soles. Hmm. So that was one of the ways we were able to tell, but there's also a defect on them. It's missing one of the, one of the shoelace eyelets on, his, on the right foot. So hmm. through that defect, we're able to photo match it. That combined with uh, a scuff, a white scuff mark on the left foot, but all those, all those converge to with photography from the time to allow us to put these Air Jordan ones on on Jordan's foot on April first, nineteen eighty six, which is really cool. They're the only pair known that are photo matched to Jordan. Wow! Yeah. And uh, so can you talk about actually photo matching here because that's something we haven't really gone in detail um on the podcast before so like you're talking about photo match and how that like adds a sense of validity to the items what what is photo matching um for someone who's brand new who doesn't know so it, it just as it sounds right i mean photo matching is is being able to um to, to have good enough photography and 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 you know this is something that you couldn't have really done even 20 years ago without the without the advent of the internet and the ability to get digitized, you know, high, um, you know, high resolution photos and blow those up. Um, so, you know, this is the next level of authentication and, and you'll see it with prices realized. Uh, I mentioned that the, the Mantle Jersey was photo matched. The Jordan sneakers were photo matched. 
that is the pinnacle of authentication as far as collectors are concerned. If you can put this particular item based on based on the way the pinstripes are on a jersey or the way the buttons are on or the way the scuffs are on a specific pair of sneakers, you're able to take this specific item. Uh, we've even seen it with bats now as well, getting photo matched in the player's hands. And so, you know, that's better than provenance. It's better than a letter from the player because all those things, you know, th there can be, you know, even though everything lines up and it, and it, and it matches authentication and the experts sign off on it, there's still that, you know, that leap of faith. Mm -hmm. And so photo matching really takes out that leap of faith. Like this is it. Here's the item on the athlete's back been, being yeah. worn during this season. So, you know, e even for, uh, for photo matching, you know, there's, there's collectors that, that absolutely won't buy anything without it, especially if it's a modern, you know, there's not, there's, it's, it's harder to do as you go back because there's, you know, there were just less photographs taken. But uh, but a lot of collectors that collect 2010 and forward of, of current day athletes, they want those items photo match. But you're going to have to pay for it because it uh, the, the photo match material definitely sells at a premium. Yeah. And before you go, I know I keep dragging this on, but it, it's just too good. Uh, can you talk about that MJ ticket? Um, because that just seems like an amazing item. Yeah. I mean, this is a really cool story. And, and obviously Jordan's been you know, since the pandemic first started and, and the last dance came out, Jordan's been been super hot. And and I think that's part of it, right, is a lot of the people that are jumping back into the market are guys that are between 30 and 50 who grew up in the 80s, loving going to sports shows and enjoying it and watching guys like Jordan. So I, I, it only makes sense that Jordan material is kind of leading the charge for this material that's doing great the last few years. And and so his his rookie debut and and combine that with ticket stubs who it's also right. you trending know up. Yep. trending up and and super hot so you know Jordan's uh you know debut for the Bulls his ticket stubs have moved from you could you could have gotten one a few years ago for around 10 to 15,000 then they started creeping up going over 100,000 and more recently they're hitting 200,000 and plus and uh and so uh our consigner uh saw a news story just happened to log in and see a news story that uh, that a ticket sold for you know two hundred and something thousand, and he said, oh, "I'm pretty sure I have a. I think I have a full ticket to that game." He goes, "I went to that game, oh. and and I think I have a full ticket downstairs in my in my box of memories." And uh, so he ran downstairs, and sure enough, he had a full ticket, the only full ticket known for Jordan's debut with the Chicago Bulls in 1984. They were actually playing the Washington Bullets at the time. And Arkin Siner was a freshman at Northwestern University outside of Chicago. And he grew up, though, in Maryland, and he was a Washington Bullets fan. So his dad uh, bought him two tickets and had him waiting for him at Will Call. And he couldn't find anyone to go with. He asked a couple of buddies. No one could make the trip. So he hopped on the train by himself, went down to the stadium, went to Will Call, picked up the two tickets, used one of them for himself. And then kept the full ticket in his pocket and just kept it as a souvenir. And 40 years later, it turns into his lottery ticket. This is as the only, as the only <laughs> Jordan, lottery. as the only Jordan full ticket known, our estimate on it is 300,000 plus. Mm -hmm. And right now it's sitting at 260,000, but I wouldn't be surprised to, to see this um, just go nuts. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at, at 400,000, I wouldn't be surprised at a million. It, it's one of those, it's a, it's, it's the only one known. It's a full ticket. It's from the box office. It's uh, 
it's got everything you could want. It's Jordan's, it's Jordan's debut. So uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch that one on, on auction night. That's incredible. And what a story too. literally his lottery ticket kept in his pocket. <laughs> um, that is incredible. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's going to set some records. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Don't throw that old stuff away, you know, right. <laughs> I know I got my, my last Raider game ticket. That's all I have. It's a full ticket, but I think there's a lot of them out there. But, um, hey, thanks so much for, for hopping on. This has been just really awesome. Absolutely. Glad to.